Hello there, my name is Adam Eason. Welcome to episode 8 of Hypnosis Weekly. Yes, hello Hypnosis friends and a warm welcome to Hypnosis Weekly. Once again in my own highly biased opinion, I think I have a marvellous, illuminating peach of a show lined up for you today. In a short while I'll be sharing with you an interview with the world famous hypnotherapist and author Roy Hunter. Then I'll be taking a glance at some recent stories in the media where hypnosis has featured. Lots of hypnosis stories to choose from currently. I'm going to offer up some personal subjective commentary on the ways hypnosis is portrayed in the media, but also comment on some of the content of those stories. We then return with our professional discussion with my guest Roy Hunter this week. He and I will be discussing regression, its ethical application, and I'll be posing the major regression skeptic stances to Roy. We'll round things off with the hypnosis factoid of the week before I bid you farewell for another week. This podcast is something that I want to encompass a feeling of embracing diversity, celebrating the field of hypnosis and encouraging friendly, professional, enjoyable discussion and debate, as well as doing its best to inform and educate. If you have questions, queries, thoughts or feedback, please do get in touch via the Hypnosis Weekly website. All the references made in the discussions, along with related links, are posted at each episode on the website www.hypnosis-weekly.com. That's hypnosisweekly with a hyphen in the middle.com. You can add your thoughts, comments, and make any suggestions there too. Please do share this podcast on Facebook, Twitter, and anywhere else to help us reach more of the hypnosis community. It's greatly appreciated. So first of all today is this week's interview. Many people in this field became involved in it or developed careers with the help of Roy Hunter's books. He is highly respected as a teacher and author and admired around the world. When I was nailing down times for him and I to record this pod podcast edition, he was about to embark on a series of teaching courses in five different countries in a lesser number of weeks, such as his reputation that he has sought out around the globe. Before our discussion that comes up later today, I wanted to find out more about Roy, his long and impressive career. So first up today, this week's interview. And so, as I've mentioned, I'm delighted to have with me today the one and only Mr. Roy Hunter. Uh, welcome, Roy. Thank you. It's an honor to be here. Um, um, Roy, I, I know that um, virtually, you know, everywhere I go um, and people are aware of your work, you know, it has permeated the, 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 the frontline hypnotherapy field for, for years and years. Um, before we start delving into some of that, can you give us an idea as to how you actually got into this field and, and what, what your background is and how you arrived at, at where you are now? Sure, I'll uh, be happy to comment on that. Uh, like so many other people I have met in our profession through the years, uh, my uh, first 
really serious interest came after benefiting from hypnotherapy as a client. Uh, and there are two uh, benefits that have greatly influenced my life. One, uh, I was a stressed out sales manager for a major insurance company back in the 1970s. Mm. And in 1978, uh, one of my clients was a cardiologist and he said, uh, unless I uh, dealt with my stress, I would be seeing him under different circumstances unless I bypassed him on the way to the morgue. That got, <laughs> that got my attention. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> so a friend of mine recommended hypnotherapy to learn uh, stress management. And to my surprise, without any suggestions regarding blood pressure, because I didn't even tell the hypnotherapist that uh, my doctor was about to put me on high blood pressure meds, my blood pressure went down within 30 days after starting to uh, practice the self-hypnosis for stress management. Wow. Uh, hence, uh, a motivation for offering a stress management session to all of my clients yeah. uh, for over three decades. Uh, the second aspect happened before I went into hypnotherapy. Uh, while I was still in uh, sales, when I uh, injured my back and uh, had a disc fragment sticking into my spinal cord. Um, through self-hypnosis, I have been able to live a normal life, even though uh, in 1981, two different doctors told me I would be a chronic pain patient. Now, I don't reduce all of the pain on my back. I leave a small percentage because pain is a warning something's wrong with the body yeah. and I don't want further injury. But uh, literally, as many of my students have said through the years, I walk my talk because uh, it's a godsend to live a normal life yeah. instead of being a chronic pain patient. But if I overdo it, my back gives me a few days uh, of what it was supposed to have been like the rest of my life, according to uh, two different doctors back in 1981. Yeah. Uh, I guess you would say that really stirred my interest totally in yeah. the benefits of hypnotherapy. And as far as how I arrived at where I am now, uh, my gosh, I could talk a whole hour on that. But <laughs> let, me, <laughs> let me give you just a uh, three or four minute uh, overview. Yeah, please. I learned from the late Charles Tebbets, yeah. who was uh, a pioneer of client-centered hypnosis as well as parts therapy. And at the time, I had a third benefit of hypnosis because I suffered migraine headaches from first grade all the way up to when I was 40 years old. And after finishing Charlie's class through parts therapy, I was able to overcome the migraine headaches because there was a part of me uh, indulging in self-punishment because I wasn't perfect. So for years and years, any time uh, that part of me didn't feel I was doing something to perfection, I got punished with a headache, and it never occurred to me consciously all those years that um, my subconscious was creating the headaches as a punishment for um, uh, getting five A's and a B instead of getting six A's on a report card, for example. <laughs> or getting 97% on a test which was a solid A instead of getting 100% or for not being a perfect father or for not being a perfect husband. And uh, the last uh, 31 years have been a godsend compared to uh, the previous three and a half decades uh, of suffering with headaches. Sure. As much difference for me as day and, and night. Yeah. So. Uh, for years and years, I just figured that uh, having frequent headaches was uh, going to be uh, one of my uh, crosses to bear for uh, the rest of my life. Sure. But uh, it's wonderful to be free of migraine headaches. Yeah. 
Now, as far as how I got to be well-known as an instructor, Charlie asked me to uh, teach his course after I'd been in the business four years. And uh, through an amazing set of circumstances, I ended up teaching his course um, over a period of nine months at a college. So I had uh, his nine-month course uh, yeah. offered in a local community college for quite a number of years. And then uh, eventually I met Orman McGill, who uh, was uh, a man I admired because I read his yeah. books. And two days after I met Orman, he said, okay, Roy, when are you going to uh, start writing books? I said, what do you mean writing books? I wrote a sci-fi book years ago, but <laughs> I got the reject letters. He said, no, I'm not talking about science fiction. He said, it's your life path to write some books on hypnosis. I don't know how he knew, but obviously he was correct. Yeah. And I feel honored that uh, prior to his passing, he wrote the preface for uh, The Art of Hypnosis. Yeah, yeah. Um, which is which is a great book, um, um, and I think a lot of people come across it. A lot of people um, um, that, that I encounter uh, have have copies of the art of hypnotherapy uh, too. Um, um, and 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 so, with regards with regards to that, then how do you um, how do you define hypnosis? How do you explain it to to people? Um, um, and, and has there been some kind of some kind of journey and some kind of influence that helped you arrive at that definition? Um, um, and, and you know, how do you explain hypnosis to your clients or to your students um, upon upon initially working with them? I follow the advice of my late mentor, Charles Tebbets, who said, yeah. keep it simple. He said, really, uh, hypnosis is guided self-hypnosis uh, unless it's uh, chemically induced by a substance. Yeah. Uh, so I simply explain to clients, all hypnosis is guided self-hypnosis, uh, and yet there are many different definitions even now into the 21st century. Uh, some people still debate whether hypnosis is guided self-hypnosis or not. Yeah. But uh, one of Charlie's uh, reasons for believing it's guided self-hypnosis is that you cannot make someone accept a suggestion if they have an emotional reason to refuse it. And yeah. lest anyone doubt that, how many people uh, try more than once to quit smoking or lose weight through hypnosis and then backslide and either go back to the same uh, uh, hypnosis professional or uh, find an, another hypnotherapist to work with? Yes. So even though there are lots of different definitions, I like the simple one that it's really guided self-hypnosis. Yeah, yeah. Guided I, meditation. I like that. Um, um, and And... As well as Charles Tebbett, um, um, who, who's qu quite clearly a major influence to you, um, are, there, are there other influences as well? And um, um, are there some, some sort of standout books or authors or teachers that have been influential upon you? Um, um, and, and even if you want to expand upon Charles Tebbett's in, um, um, influence or Orman McGill, could you talk us a little bit about why and what resonated with you so well about them and their work? I had the honor of uh, being considered uh, a friend with Orman McGill, and he was a very spiritual man. He yeah. loved the entertainment side of hypnosis, stage hypnosis, but he yeah. also was a firm believer in hypnotherapy as well. Yeah. So in my early years, I read several of his books. Uh, I loved the fact that he had a deep belief 
in uh, God and the power of love and spirituality. Uh, but as far as professional influence, I would have to say that uh, one of the most influential books of the entire hypnotherapy profession would have to be uh, Hypnotherapy by Dave Ellman. That yeah. was a required textbook back in 1983 when I studied under Charles Tebbets. Yeah. Um, I've, uh, Larry Ellman is a personal friend of mine. He and Cheryl, and of course he's uh, the son of the, gr of the great late Dave Ellman. Yes. I told Larry that uh, I'm third generation Ellman because <laughs> Gil Boyne learned regression from Dave Ellman, right. and then uh, Charles Tebbets learned regression from Gil Boyne, and right. I learned regression from Charles Tebbets. Right. <laughs> <laughs> so, <laughs> so people that Larry and Cheryl teach regression to are, in a sense, getting second-generation regression because <laughs> but those uh, Dave Elman did use regression a lot. Yeah. Uh, but there were other techniques that were great as well. Uh, so that book uh, influenced me considerably, and I was amazed when uh, I finally had the opportunity to meet his son a few years back. Yeah, yeah. Um, um, I've uh, 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 both um, Larry and Cheryl are going to come and feature on this um, in a few weeks' time as well, um, and we're going to talk a little bit about the legacy of Dave Elman. So it's it's lovely that you mention them and uh, and that book now. Well, I could put in a plug for uh, the fact that it should be very worthwhile for your listeners to uh, listen to it. Them. Great, great. Um, um, Throughout those, throughout the decades that you've been involved in this in this field and uh, and so dedicated to it and worked through it, what are, what are some of the more impressive applications of hypnosis that that you've borne direct witness to, Roy? Well, uh, two words jump out immediately at that question. I would have to say parts therapy. I was amazed and awed at AWED type of awed. Yeah. at uh, watching Charles Tebbets uh, demonstrate parts therapy in his class. Yeah. Uh, it's based on the concept that we all have different aspects of our personality or uh, parts of the subconscious. Uh, for example, my client gets the hypnotherapist part of me. My inner child uh, might want to go to a movie after a busy day. Uh, I have an inner accountant that might uh, prefer the matinee because that doesn't cost as much as uh, going to the evening show. Uh, and then I'll say to a client, there's a part of you that wants to uh, quit smoking and has motivated you to invest your time and money for these sessions, but there's another part of you that wants to keep on smoking or you wouldn't need my services in the first place and you wouldn't have uh, backslid after the first session. So. Uh, parts therapy helps people resolve inner conflicts. I'm like a mediator and I mediate between the two conflicting parts of the subconscious. It's a profoundly beneficial technique that has helped many people resolve inner conflicts even after other hypnotic techniques have uh, failed to give them lasting resolutions. Yeah. Charlie was a pioneer of that technique, but it's not the only game in town. It's very sure. similar to ego state therapy, which uh, was pioneered by John and Helen Watkins and yeah. uh, their protege is Dr. Gordon Emerson who's a yeah. psychologist from Australia. Uh, there's also a voice dialogue. Uh, there's a six-step reframe which is uh, uh, a descendant of uh, Virginia Satir's work yeah. and she was quite well known a couple decades ago. Yeah. Um, there, this conference room therapy which uh, was promoted by David Quigley and uh, there's um, 
One I just learned of two years ago, subliminal therapy, which is a variation of parts therapy promoted by a professor in the psychiatry department at a university in San Diego, Dr. Edwin Yeager. And uh, he was willing to think outside the box and has had profound results. Uh, So I think that uh, realizing, as Dr. Gordon Emerson has uh, discovered through research, all of us have anywhere from 5 to 15 different uh, active aspects or parts or states of the subconscious. Uh, Once we accept that, it's a great way of resolving problems when other techniques have failed. Um, It's also uh, interesting that my uh, co-author for the Art of Hypnotic Regression Therapy is Dr. Bruce Eimer, who's a licensed clinical psychologist, and although he has a part-time practice, he works full-time as a pain psychologist at a major hospital in Philadelphia. And he has been using parts therapy uh, with chronic pain patients recently and getting uh, some amazing results. So as far as the most impressive single application of hypnosis I directly witnessed, I would have to go completely to a different topic and say, back in 1989, I was at a hypnosis convention uh, attending a workshop presented by the late Walter Secor, who worked with ultra depths. And I was sitting in the front row, closest than anyone in the room to the volunteer he worked with, and he hypnotized this uh, gentleman put him into ultra depth and wasn't fast enough with his reflexes when the man literally fell off the chair, banged his head on a sharp corner of a table while falling to the floor, his head literally bounced once several inches off the hard surface of the floor and within 30 seconds he had a wealth the size of a golf ball on his head. I, I just sat there wondering how is Mr. Secor going to deal with this? Yeah. He continued with the demonstration, uh, gave the man suggestions for the swelling going down, and before the end of that profound demonstration, not only was the swelling gone, the man had no pain after the session and no conscious memory of even banging his head on the table. Wow. <laughs> wow. And... Um, um, I- I love the fact, I've got to say, just returning to to, to what you were talking about with regards to parts as well, I I also love the fact that um, um, having done this for the decades that you have, that you're still impressed and, as you said, in awe of of the parts therapy application. You know, I I love to hear that. And and it really comes through the way that you communicate it. Um, But also, you know, the, the... the, the the individual uh, example that you gave just then as well, um, I, you know, I, I wish everybody got to source and direct physiological um, um, evidence such as that when it comes to hypnosis. It's lovely to hear about, although probably not quite so lovely to have experienced. <laughs> <laughs> um, um, now, if you think about all that all that time ago um, when you started out as a hypnotherapist and, and a hypnosis professional knowing knowing what you know now is there anything you do differently Roy um, and, and if so would you would you share that um, and, and is there any advice you'd give the 
uh, the person that you are today would give to the younger you setting out in this field that might be interesting or useful for other hypnotherapists and professionals to hear about today? Verify the claims of advertising agents who promise the moon and deliver pebbles. <laughs> Un unfortunately, I was way too trusting and believed some uh, remarkable sales presentations uh, where people really could talk a very convincing lie just to drain me of thousands of dollars of uh, uh, non-productive advertising. Right. And uh, that really hurt me financially and more than once set me back almost enough to knock me out of the profession. Uh, so never make an on-the-spot decision when you're talking to an advertising agent for the first time. Sure. Verify his or her claims, ask for referrals, uh, and make sure that you're not throwing your money away because uh, I, I would love to get back even half of all the money I've wasted on non-productive advertising in my uh, years in a profession. Yeah, yeah. Um, um, what are your thoughts about um, some of the more evidence-based approaches to hypnosis these days, Roy? Uh, that's a very good question because I have to confess I have a split opinion on this. Yeah. Strict protocols do not work for everyone because we need to fit the technique to the client instead of vice versa. Yeah. yeah. However, uh, people in the medical community are into evidence-based approaches to uh, health care. Uh, I did spend five years back in the 1980s surveying my clients at six months, 12 months, and 18 months because I wanted Great. to know not only what my short-term success rate was, but my long-term success rate. Good. Uh, there are people who claim to have a 95% success rate with smokers, for example, yeah. and uh, my question is always, um, how long? How long do these people go without smoking? How many of them backslide within a year? Yeah, absolutely. So uh, I found out that uh, I had a very high long-term success rate with my uh, smokers because of the fact that if they backslid, I would use parts therapy to help uh, make the success more permanent rather than temporary. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, um, uh, you know. I, it's it's something. I hope that all my students go ahead and listen to you saying that um, with regards to follow up, following up clients, and and really getting a good idea as to how effective your interventions have been, and being able to to have an honest account of what you are doing um, is is a wonderful thing to do. You know, uh, okay, okay. There's a big difference between someone saying at the end of a session, "Yeah, I've definitely stopped smoking," and and knowing whether someone has two years down the line. Correct. And I would always, when I was doing the survey, I always advised my clients that I would be uh, checking up uh, on your progress. Notice how I worded that. I'll be calling you <laughs> yeah. uh, in a month and six months and a year to uh, follow up on your progress, keeping it positive yeah. rather than finding out if there are any problems or not. Because a person can be suggestible the first few moments after emerging from trance. So uh, we need to be careful uh, what our comments are when they first emerge from trance. Yeah. Like uh, several years ago, a smoker saw me, and uh, when I asked him about his previous experience with hypnosis, he said, yeah, I saw a guy in Seattle last fall. I thought he was pretty good. Uh, but then uh, 
the first thing you said when uh, I came out of hypnosis was, now, whatever you do, don't go blowing it if you find a pack of cigarettes in a glove box <laughs> by lighting it up. And he said, I imagine doing that, and that's exactly what I did. Yeah. So as I remind clients, imagination is the language of the subconscious, so we need to focus on solutions not uh, the problem. Quite. And yet yeah. there are people even today who debate whether or not negative suggestions uh, can occasionally be given or should never be given. And while uh, it may be true for some of the people some of the time that uh, they could receive a negative suggestion, uh, I have been in this profession long enough to know of a number of failures as a result of negative suggestions being given. And that one I just mentioned to you was a prime example. Yeah. And then the guy told me um, that he never uh, showed up for a second session because he thought the guy should have been uh, smart enough uh, not to make such a stupid suggestion. Those were his words. Sure, sure. Yeah, yeah. And, and heck, if, 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 if he thinks that, then, then yeah, absolutely. Um, um, uh, one of the things I think um, um, really comes through with with the way in which you communicate about this topic is um, um, your your you know your your own personal beliefs are invested and it's you know it sounds incredibly congruent and it's lovely. Do you think that you know that the fact that you'd been that you'd overcome your back pain and and had the 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 the, the, the the health benefits with regards to, to your stress. Do you think that um, is something that, 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 that advances what you do? I believe it does because I believe in hypnotherapy with a passion. For me, it's not, uh, you've probably heard a few people say this isn't just a job, it's a career. Yeah, yeah. For me, hypnotherapy isn't just a career, it's a life path. Because uh, there were a few times after horrible financial setbacks back in the uh, mid-90s when I uh, seriously considered leaving the profession. But it's almost like an invisible hand said, this is your life path, walk in it. Right. And then I even, <laughs> I even had uh, for several weeks a few nightmares of uh, getting swallowed by a whale like Jonah. And I don't know whether that was just my own subconscious talking to me or a higher power, that's speculation. But I thought, okay, I guess I'm supposed to stay in this uh, life path. Yeah. So I'm oh. still here in spite of <laughs> obstacles. But using self-hypnosis and even hypnotherapy has helped me. Like after one of those horrible setbacks, I had so much anger for somebody that I had one of my own former students do parts therapy with me to help me resolve some inner conflicts and uh, prevent letting uh, bitterness and hatred of that other person who hurt me uh, threaten my career. So uh, basically, I decided it's his karma, it's between him and God, and uh, emotionally I gave him his problem back, and I needed to do that at a subconscious level. So my other piece of advice to other hypnotherapists is, while you don't have to be perfect, to be a good hypnotherapist, you do need to walk your talk and be willing to be client because it's not a question of whether or not you will have issues, it's when you have issues will you be a hypnotherapy client and be as much of a believer by your actions as you want your clients to be. Yeah, yeah. I, think I hope that makes sense to everybody. Yeah. Uh, I mean, I mean, it, it makes it makes a lot of sense to me um, on a personal level as well as um, you know for, here for this podcast, um, and it's and it's really refreshing 
I think, to hear somebody say that. Um, um, Roy, just tell me, what, what, people listening to this, where can they go to learn more about your work, more about your approach to hypnosis? Uh, a starting point is www.royhunter.com. That's R-O-Y-H-U-N-T-E-R.com. On my website, uh, there's information about me. Uh, I have a lot of other information about hypnosis, as well as my books and some DVDs and MP4 video files of yeah. uh, parts therapy workshop and regression therapy workshop I taught back in 2011 in uh, Southern California. Um, the art of hypnosis and the art of hypnotherapy are used in many hypnosis schools all over the world, which uh, is an incredible honor, not just to me, but also, uh, in my opinion, to the late Charles Tebbets, because yeah. my work is based on his client-centered approach. Yeah. Client-centered means we fit the technique to the client rather than trying to fit the client to our protocol, sure. uh, which, once again, is an aspect of my split opinion for your question about evidence-based approaches. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, uh, I, a lot of people say that to me about standardization of technique, um, not necessarily fitting with, uh, you know, an individualized client-centered approach. And, uh, you know, it's a fascinating debate. And, and you know, I, I've encountered people on both sides of it make some very good cases. Um, ditto. So, yeah, so, so, so RoyHunter.com, um, um, go there, listeners, and have a good explore of some of the wonderful things that Roy um, offers. Uh, we'll be back in a short while with Roy, and we're going to discuss um, um, some, some of the best uses of regression in hypnotherapy and, 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 and how to use it in the most ethical and effective fashion. Um, for now, thanks very much, Roy. We'll be back in a short moment. Now let's have a look at this week's Hypnosis in the News. First up this week, in an article entitled IKEA Hypnotizes Customers in Adverts to Convince Them They Are Living Their Future Lives. Just that happens in the article. Las Vegas hypnotist Justin Trance hypnotizes IKEA customers to believe they are in a future time in their lives and there are, are other actors helping to, to deliver and create the scene of their future lives. Um, and it makes for some fascinating viewing. Um, um, inherent, of course, is the presence of IKEA furniture and it's based in an IKEA store and that's the backdrop. I think Many might look at this and think of it in a variety of ways, perhaps not exclusively positive. But I really quite like the way hypnosis is portrayed here. I think Justin Trance is slick and comes across really well. The notion of taking people into their future lives, of course, is not new and it's fundamental to many therapeutic processes. So why not use this to advertise IKEA? The clips are also intriguing because they're not kind of sickly sweet and ideal futures that are created necessarily. And I found that to be quite quirky and quite refreshing in that regard. Um, in an Australian article entitled, Children are undergoing hypnosis to cope with the stress of NAPLAN tests. I was delighted to read that hypnosis was being used to help children with exam stress. However, hypnosis is not a major feature of this article and it seems to be a way of providing a grand title. 
Hypnosis is not really featured that accurately or impressively in the article either, and actually refers to neuro-linguistic programming as much as hypnosis. Hypnosis is absolutely something that can be used to help children deal with stress in exams, and I would have loved to have seen that showcased more impressively in this kind of an article. Finally, the Daily Mail shows an article filled with lots of video clips. The article is entitled Studio 10 co-host Joe Hildebrand's shock as Jessica Rowe twerks in his face while under hypnosis. Now, it is worth watching the clips for pure cringe factor and to make your own mind up about the results yielded by Peter Powers hypnotising members of a TV show. Um, the clips are entertaining, okay, but for me, the terminology used and the inherent adherence to many misconceptions are the problem with the portrayal of hypnosis here. Links to all of these stories are listed under this week's podcast entry on www.hypnosis-weekly.com. Next up, we have this week's discussion. Roy Hunter joins me again and we discuss the ethical use of regression in hypnotherapy and I pose some of the issues that have been cited by some with the use of regression in this way incorporated with hypnosis. Listen to the discussion and I'll also offer some additional thoughts afterwards. Okay, I'm back with Roy Hunter now. Um, today we're going to be discussing the best uses and the most ethical applications of regression in hypnotherapy. And um, the, the reason that I wanted to, to discuss that with Roy is simply because Roy is probably the, the best known proponent of this approach in the world today and teaches all around the world. I think in a couple of weeks time Roy's going to be in about five countries uh, teaching these the, this material and he is very much sought after around the world and um, some of the some of the issues and some of the the, 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 the sort of modern critique at times with regards to regression are some things and some points that I wanted to, to pose to Roy and, um, and, and have him elaborate from some of his uh, from some of his wealth of experience with regards to this. And I suppose, um, Roy, one of the first issues that, that potentially people have or, or that gets raised um, if, if regression is not used properly or, or, or the training isn't uh, effective, I suppose one of the things that, that, that people fear is false memory syndrome and the risk of it. Um, um, perhaps you could tell us a little bit about what, what, what you do to, to prevent it or, or what you know about it or how you go about dealing with issues around that. First of all, it's a very legitimate concern because unfortunately back in the 80s, uh, there were a number of uh, people in uh, both the counseling and uh, hypnotherapy profession who were doing, quote, memory reconstruction, unquote, which basically was using hypnosis to project their own preconceived opinion into the subconscious of the client. And I won't go into the details of that except to say that one of the results was that many parents of adult children ended up suing 
uh, psychologist, psychotherapist, uh, or in a few cases a hypnotherapist, uh, because of false accusations made by an adult child for uh, childhood abuse that never happened. Yeah. Uh, we don't always remember things accurately when emotions are involved. So before I ever use regression with a client, and let me preface this by saying I only use regression for some of the clients some of the time when it's indicated. Yeah. Um, some people are opposed to regression because they hear of uh, hypnotists who use regression with everybody. Yeah. And um, the exclusive use of any one technique is something that my late mentor, Charles Tebbis, warned against. So uh, he actually taught us a system, which I can discuss later if you want me to, yeah. regarding how to know whether or not regression is indicated. At any rate, when it is indicated, I'll say to a client, um, there's been a lot of information on false memory. Have you heard uh, anything or read any uh, press regarding false memories? And most of the clients actually say yes, at least here in the Seattle area. Yeah. Uh, but regardless of whether they say yes or no, or I don't know, what is it? I'll say uh, two children in a schoolyard can witness a fight and give a teacher different versions five minutes later. Or two uh, siblings can uh, have an argument and give different versions to a parent who uh, comes into the room just a couple of minutes later or in the middle of the fight. When emotions are involved, the emotions can distort our perceptions. So, for example, let's say the client is seeing me for fear of, fly of flying. I'll say, when I guide you back in time to uh, get the original cause from your subconscious, what uh, you remember in hypnosis may be part fact or part fantasy. It's usually a combination of both, but my job is not to sort out the fact from the fantasy, rather to help you discover the perceptions so you can release your emotional attachment to those perceptions. Hmm. Yeah, I, I mean, I, I find that really interesting. Um, um, because I suppose um, one of the other one of the other issues that some some people have sometimes had with regards to this is that. Um, in, in former years, people have, have considered and thought that hypnosis did guarantee veracity, that only the truth could ever be spoken um, um, in hypnosis. Um, so it's really interesting that you talk about the perception of what the, the issue is, as opposed to that being a fact. Yes, it's very important. And I will also say to the client, on top of that, I'll say... Um, whether or not the perception is true, you are responding to the perception as though it is true. Yeah. So uh, my job is to help you release the emotional attachment to that perception so that you can get on with life. And uh, this, is, this is really important in my opinion because one minute of communication is worth a month of resolution. So I prefer to give a couple of minutes of communication to all of my clients that experience regression in advance of the trance. And I also warn my client of the importance of setting aside any preconceived opinion. I'll, I'll tell them uh, sometimes false memory is caused uh, because either the client or the therapist has a preconceived opinion about the cause. 
And according to Dr. Gordon Emerson, who's a psychologist from Australia and has done a lot of regression work uh, as well as uh, variation of hypnotherapy called ego state therapy if either the client or the hypnotherapist has a preconceived opinion about the cause there's a 50-50 chance that that preconceived opinion will be wrong now I don't tell the next story to my clients (laughs) but I do tell this story when I do regression workshops yeah if you are on the receiving end of inappropriate leading in other words, asking uh, leading questions instead of uh, open-ended guiding questions, you can end up having a false memory. So one of the examples I give is uh, when a hypnotist, notice my choice of words, said, tell me if the light is a flying saucer. Right. I I was the client when that question was asked. The background was I gave a talk to a group of UFO believers and one of them came up to me and said she was writing a book and was also a certified hypnotist and she wanted the names uh, she wanted her name and phone number given to my students or names and phone numbers of any of my students who had childhood out-of-body experiences because she had a preconceived opinion that anyone who had a childhood out-of-body experience uh, was uh, really uh, misperceiving an alien abduction So I said, well, I had an out-of-body experience when I was six. I stepped on a scorpion and almost died, so I'll be your first guinea pig. Uh, I told this lady that when I was six, I stepped on a scorpion and almost died. In the middle of the night, there was excruciating pain from my hip to my foot, and then I saw a globe of light the size of a basketball uh, on the ceiling of my bedroom, and uh, the moonlight was uh, shining through the uh, window. And it amazed me that the rest of the room was dark other than the moonlight shining through the window. And then I looked back at the light a second time and couldn't take my eyes off of it and felt myself start to float out of my body. So with that information, she hypnotizes me and guides me back to the room, regression to a specific event, and then says, um, were the curtains open or closed? That was a leading question. That should have been my clue to come up out of hypnosis. But I'm analytical. I don't go deep very often, so I enjoyed being deep. And I remember mumbling, uh, they were Venetian blinds, and they were open. Hmm. Then she says, as you're floating out your body, I want you to go through the light and tell me if it's a flying saucer. And the only thing missing in that regression was X-Files background music. Now... I told her after the session was over that she was guilty of any appropriate leading. I said, you need to get trained properly in regression because you ask a bunch of leading questions. And I said, not only did you uh, ask me if the light was a flying saucer, you asked me if the people that abducted me were short, uh, gray with black almond slant eyes and talk about leading. And she said, you uh, just want to find a reason to uh, uh, invalidate the memories that you repressed. Well, needless to say, that lady was never recommended to any of my hypnotherapy students, and I had nothing to do with her uh, after that. No. Uh, But even though I knew she was guilty of inappropriate leading, I wanted the truth. So a couple of years later, I had somebody who was trained properly in regression, regress me back to the same event, 
the global light was a death angel who was there to stop me from passing over because it wasn't my time yet. Now, both regressions cannot be true. But each regression seems just as real and just as fantasized. So I can look my peers in the eye and say, if you were on the receiving end of inappropriate leading, you won't know for sure which memories are real and which memories are false. So uh, oftentimes people have said, well, why don't you get the truth? It serves me better as a hypnotherapy instructor mm. to be able to uh, cite that example in my class and look my peers straight in the eye and say sincerely with total truth, if you're on the receiving end of a mishandled regression, you won't know for sure which memories are real and which memories are false. So I really emphasize the importance of knowing the difference between guiding and leading and uh, that's covered in one of the chapters as well as uh, false memories in the art of hypnotic regression therapy a clinical guide it was published in 2012 by crown house publishing my co-author is a licensed clinical psychologist who's a fellow of ASCH which is the American Society of Clinical Hypnosis yeah. and he's a hypnosis mentor for psychologists and physicians here in the United States Dr. Bruce Eimer. He yes. works as a pain psychologist uh, at a hospital in Philadelphia and also maintains a private practice. And he himself has been a published author before we uh, put our heads together and co-authored a book that I believe is better than what either one of us could have written by ourselves. It's uh, got case histories, step-by-step -step instructions, a number of different regression techniques, but uh, we also cover some of the other concerns by the regression skeptics, such as um, why do people have to experience the abreactions? Well, that's a legitimate concern yeah. because there are people who are very paternal and forceful uh, and confrontive. And I'm not saying being confrontive is unethical because um, uh, Randall Churchill has probably done more regressions than anyone alive on this planet, yeah. and he's confrontive using the style that he learned from Gil Boyne, but Randall Churchill gets results, and he yeah. actually wrote a book with some of the case histories. But I prefer the more gentle style that I learned from Charles Tebbets because I believe it's more client-centered. Um, the person needs to feel the emotion in order to have the catharsis and be able to release the emotional attachment to the core cause of the problem. But unlike some people who do chaining back where they take a person through incident after incident and keep a person in regression for months reliving all kinds of subsequent sensitizing events, I go for two events. The original which is called the initial sensitizing event. Tebbets yeah. called it the original sensitizing event. In other words, the core cause. And then the activating event that triggers the problem. Some people call it the symptom-producing event. And whether you call it the AE or the SPE, different terms for the same thing. And both of those events have to be cleared. Uh, sometimes the activating event is the same event as the ISE but they might be days, weeks, months, or years apart. But uh, there are ways of going through the regression phases, and I've divided it into five phases uh, with step-by-step -step processes for each phase. There are ways of determining 
from the subconscious or let's say enabling the subconscious to tell you whether or not there's anything else that needs to be discovered and released. Right. So yeah. all of these procedures are uh, detailed in the Art of Hypnotic Regression Therapy. I also have uh, a thumb drive of MP4 video files from the two-day workshop I did on regression in Costa Mesa, California in 2011, although that was before I co-authored the regression book with Dr. Eimer. Yeah, yeah. Um, um, and, and I suppose some of the people that have concerns about um, ab reaction and, and the need to, to, to develop an ab reaction, um, I've seen some of their, their critiques um, paired up with their concern for the potential for re-traumatization, for example. Um, um, is that something that's covered in the book, something that, you've, that you come up against at all within your own work? Uh, I'm going to give you a couple answers. One is that it is a legitimate concern uh, because if you bring somebody up out of hypnosis when they're having uh, ab reactions, yeah. uh, that can actually leave them worse off because now the emotional frustration regarding the presenting problem is at the surface. Yeah. Uh, years ago, uh, when a friend of mine who's now on the other side, Dr. Arthur Winkler, was uh, teaching a uh, hypnotherapy class, uh, one of his students went against his advice and did regression right away before he covered it in the classroom and didn't know how to handle the ab reaction. So when she re-traumatized the client with uh, a painful childhood experience, uh, the lady was worse off and Dr. Winkler did a, uh, a very long mega session with her a week later and said it took him about two or three hours to uh, help deal with uh, the can of worms that was opened because of re-traumatization. So that is yeah. a legitimate concern. Yeah. And it's easier to prevent than it is to deal with. So the problem is there is one particular uh, organization I won't mention publicly that has uh, in their instructor's manual uh, that you bring a client up out of hypnosis when ab reactions appear and uh, in my professional opinion that's the worst thing you can do. So if you don't know how to handle ab reactions then guide the client to his or her peaceful place and have them imagine a sense of inner peace and give suggestions that at the appropriate time and place you will f uh, seek the appropriate help when you are ready to deal with this. Mm. So uh, the potential for re-traumatization is unfortunately a very legitimate concern and because of uh, the mishandling of that uh, some of the regression skeptics have ammunition to criticize those of us who do it properly yeah. but I don't want to see the baby thrown out with the bathwater sure. I think a person needs to be aware of the potential pitfalls before they ever initiate a regression but I also do not believe my success rate would have been as high as it's been over the years if I had not uh, learned regression from Charles Tebbets to put into my toolkit. Yeah, yeah. And um, um, when we spoke, um, just at the beginning, you mentioned um, um, that the kinds of conditions um, or, or, or that the, the selection process with regards to when regression would be indicated. Um, um, would, you, would you share that with us? Sure. Uh, Years ago, or decades ago, 
Lacrone and Cheek came up with a seven-key system where you would establish finger response questions, idiomotor responding, yeah. and uh, they divided uh, basic causes into seven categories. Charles Tebbets had his own variation of it, which he called the seven psychodynamics of a symptom, uh, where uh, causes of problems could be divided into seven basic categories, um, authority imprint, um, current unresolved issue, that's what I call it, Charlie called it psychosomatic uh, body language, uh, but that's not as simple and easy to understand as uh, current unresolved issue. Sure. Uh, secondary gain is another one. Um, attribution, uh, in other words, you are emulating somebody. There's somebody that you admire either from your past or present or both, and you want to be just like that person. Uh, uh, fifth would be inner conflict, which is indicative of parts therapy. A uh, past painful experience, which would be indicative uh, to use regression therapy, and then self-punishment. So of those seven categories, I will generally use regression on past painful experience, or uh, I will often, but not always, use regression if it's uh, authority imprint from the past. Right, yeah. Yeah. Uh, but I, I want to add one more comment on the re-traumatization because yeah, I feel so strongly about that. Uh, a hypnotherapy instructor that uh, I knew for that I've known for quite a few years went to a workshop where he saw a PhD hypnotize somebody and do regression, and then when uh, he started having ab reactions, the PhD, the PhD jerked this man up out of hypnosis with all of the emotions at the surface and my friend said he approached him uh, during the break and asked why didn't you help him release the emotional attachment uh, to what surfaced and uh, help him uh, have the catharsis while you had him in hypnosis and he said the uh, therapist responded by saying well, I can keep him in psychological counseling for six to nine months uh, going through the data that uh, surfaced. Right. Yeah, which seems highly unethical. Uh, I would have to agree with you. Yeah, yeah. It's not my place to judge the therapist because I was not there. Sure. I only have someone's word of mouth. But if that was done... Uh, this took place back in the 1990s, and if that happened a lot during the 1990s, I can understand why some people really got turned off on uh, regression therapy, because yeah. uh, this PhD, this therapist, uh, deliberately re-traumatized somebody in order to line his own pocket with uh, therapy for six to nine months. Sure. And I have had not, uh, not just one, but several clients see me over the years where I have used regression, and they had a previous experience in a psychotherapist's office uh, keeping stuck in re uh, non-productive regression for months. Mm. Mm. Um, um, and because, I mean, for, 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 for people listening that are not really familiar with re-traumatization, I mean, if you, if you, for example, encountered someone with post-traumatic stress, um, very often what they do uh, in the way in which post-traumatic stress very often perpetuates is someone continually revisiting a memory and, and um, um, often getting to the point where it's at its most heightened sensitivity and, and, and prolonging that moment and, and thus 
thus beginning to, to resensitize themselves to it. Um, and, but but, but w- what Roy is saying is that obviously all of that needs to be dealt with and released rather than bringing someone out or, or interfering when they're at that peak of emotion where there is the potential for the re-traumatization. Would I be right in saying that, Roy? For the benefit of your listeners, let me say that when the emotion is tapped into, I allow the client to tap into those emotions only for a brief period after which I guide the client to his or her peaceful, safe place. And then I say, uh, connect with that part of you that has your highest and best wisdom, knowledge, understanding, training, and experience, your current adult awareness. Now go back in a moment and be the seven-year-old or however old they were in the regression, but with your adult mind. Right, yeah. So, in essence, according to Dr. Gordon Emerson, that's a variation of parts therapy because I'm using the inner child and an inner adult. And then I go have them go back into the experience and say, with your adult mind, what is your new perception of what uh, so-and-so did? And then I use Gestalt role play. Right, okay. And the Gestalt role play is what helps them express and release the emotions. And then they release the other person from the apology that that person used to owe without condoning the action. Then they have to forgive themselves, and that's how they are able to release the emotion. It's a detailed process handled properly. It's very effective. uh, And I have to tell the regression skeptics it has passed the test of time because I've been doing this over three decades. Yeah. And I've been teaching it uh, since 1988. Yeah. So, uh, but if it's not done properly, then there can be some problems. Uh, we actually even uh, devote some space to the various types of abreactions because there are intense abreactions, there are moderate, those are the easiest to deal with. Uh, light and then there's suppressed abreactions where the analytical resistor s- tries to stuff the feelings into the subconscious and start talking in past tense. So uh, in my workshops and in the regression book that Dr. Eimer and I wrote, we offer tips on how to deal with all of these various types of uh, abreactions. Yeah, yeah. Um, um, you know, I, I have to thank you. Um, um, we're, we're, we're nearly out of time, but I have to thank you for, for, for coming on and discussing that and, and picking up some of the, the, the key points and some of the key critiques and answering them so beautifully, so eloquently. Um, um, what, what one, thing, one thing I say repeatedly, you know, um, um, in order to, to get a good gauge of how effective any therapist is or, or a trainer is, then I, I think the best, well, one of the best ways of, of ascertaining that is longevity of career. You know, if somebody's been a therapist for a large number of years, um, generally you, you can't do that if you're poor <laughs> at what you do and if you aren't getting results. So certainly, um, you know, your, 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 your longevity of career and the respect that you have in the field is without a doubt um, um, I- indicative, as far as I'm concerned, and I'm, I'm certain that many uh, many of the listeners will think the same as well. Thank you. Uh, 
Um, my, my sincere thanks for coming on and discussing that with us today. And uh, once again, for anybody wishing to go and explore um, Roy's work, have a look at some of the books that he's mentioned today um, at www.royhunter.com. Roy, my sincere thanks and my very best wishes to you. Thank you. It's been my honor and pleasure to participate in this uh, Skype discussion. Great. Thanks, Roy. I thoroughly enjoyed that discussion and found it illuminating in a number of ways. I want to make it clear, I approached Roy and asked him if I could question him on this subject matter and he did not shy away from anything. Um, he took it all on and responded beautifully in an articulate, considered fashion throughout, in my opinion, and uh, as you'd expect, I think. In my professional therapy rooms, I stopped using regression as an intervention a few years ago. Of course, I do still teach regression. It is part of the required learning outcomes for the qualification my training college offers in order to match national occupational standards here in the UK. As is a central ethos of this podcast, I think hypnotherapists need to be capable of knowing both sides of any argument, intervention, debate, and philosophy, and not just be able to regurgitate what they've been taught, then dig their heels in and believe in that dogma for the remainder of their professional lives without being able to understand any of the other sides or, or, or opposing perspectives, for example. Many members of the public just assume that hypnotherapy is all about regressive types of intervention. I'm keen for that same public to know that perhaps, in fact, regression is viewed by some as flawed. Roy referred to regression sceptics um, um, and took on those criticisms without shirking. And, I, you know, I really appreciate that. I really admire that. There are many schools and even associations that offer little more than regression therapy and psychodynamic approaches to hypnotherapy. Naturally, they have a vested interest in not necessarily demonstrating certain things to their students and advocates. I doubt an institute that only teaches hypnoanalysis, for example, is going to teach their students about any potential or fundamental flaws that academics may have cited about regressive technique or methodologies, for example. Roy suggested that regression needs to be indicated in order for him to employ it in therapy. And again, it was something else I really appreciated from him. When it comes to regression, let me state a couple of things here, a couple of the, 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 the points that I made throughout our discussion. There is some evidence um, that suggests hypnosis does not increase the reliability of memory. This is one of the reasons that hypnosis is no longer admissible in a court of law in any Western countries. And there are even many cases being reviewed where hypnosis was used in testimony. Plain and simple, it's proven that hypnosis does not enhance the ability to reliably recall memories. This is contrary to many media representations and film clips and general myths about hypnosis as a phenomenon. Secondly, then, there is some further evidence that 
proves hypnosis does not foster a literal re-experiencing of childhood events. There's much more evidence on this that you can go and look up and explore and perhaps even delve into the field of neuroscience and so on. But research upon research tends to indicate very clearly the reconstructive nature of memory. That is, we reconstruct memories, whether in hypnosis or not, we reconstruct them. During the course of our lives, our memories change, our perceptions, values, beliefs, rationalizations, ideas, life experiences, they all alter the perception we have of that memory. We do not re-experience those memories with absolute accuracy, and in fact, we distort them. We do not always distort them massively, though some of the biggest litigation cases in psychiatric history, as Roy referred to, were born in the 1990s when psychiatrists assumed issues in people's lives that did not exist, creating false memory syndrome. You know, if you visit the websites of false memory syndrome societies in your country, you can read about this in more depth and see damage that's caused from people making incorrect assumptions that the client had certain issues in their past. Roy offered a really ethical response to, to that kind of criticism and that tone. He refers to the client having a perception of the cause of the problem as opposed to the memory being deemed a fact. And that really stood out for me. I really respected and understood that as, as an ethical approach as far as this, this methodology is concerned. As hypnotherapists, certainly in the UK, we have a legal duty of care as a hypnotherapist, as well as an ethical one and a, a code of ethics that we all abide by. Within any legal care in the medical profession of any kind is the notion of informed consent. This is whereby the professional is required to advise the patient, the client, of any potential risks involved in the treatment. A close friend of mine, for example, had an operation last year and was told that there was a 0.5% chance of damage by cutting to, to into one of the organs with the procedure. Um, it's not what you want to hear, is it? Um, um, but despite this, it's diligent uh, medical ethical practice to do so. With regression therapy then, some of the skeptics um, or, or, or opponents of it believe that there is a risk of what we refer to as re-traumatization. That is, by again exposing the client to the event, they could effectively experience the trauma of such an experience. There are websites, resources and pieces of research that all give a lot more detail and account and information about the phenomena of re-traumatization. For example, people experiencing incredibly vivid dreams have been affected by them. Um, people who have seen certain things on television have been known to adopt unwanted reactions, fears and anxiety disorders, as well as maladaptive behaviours. In hypnosis, experience can be amplified and visiting someone's own representation of a traumatic event, whether it's reconstructed or not, could potentially create a problem. And so therefore, you know, do we have a duty to advise the client that this could happen? Paradoxically then, we may be increasing the chances of it happening as a result of mentioning it. These are the reasons that I've tended to veer away from this approach in recent years. In order to feel congruent, um, I've tended to, to refer people that really wanted to use this approach to other, other therapists that have a better belief invested in it. All of that said, you know, I did use regression for the first 10 years of my own career and saw a great deal of gain achieved by my clients. 
Likewise, many very ethical proponents of regression that I've encountered, in addition to Roy, all have a great deal of success using it. What's more, I'm yet to encounter a professional who has client experience of re-traumatization, and some people insist it is a nonsensical notion altogether. To that end, Roy Hunter was and is an absolutely lovely man that I'd happily refer clients to. Away from the recordings, him and I talked and joked about our families. I'd happily sit down in the pub and talk to him all night about hypnosis and our experiences. And that is what this podcast is all about, embracing the diversity and enjoying it. Here in the UK, we have a very multicultural society, especially in some of the larger cities. And I believe that that enriches us and makes it a wonderful, vibrant and, in the most part, tolerant and beautiful place to live. Yet many think that diversity that we have here detracts from traditional England and traditional values. It's a similar debate when it comes to the field of hypnosis, in my opinion. Many think that the theoretical differences and stances detract from where this field could or should be. Yet I believe it makes for a stimulating, beautiful tapestry that enriches and can be learned from. I certainly learned a great, great deal from my interaction with Roy Hunter, and I thank him greatly for that. I, for one, appreciate and respect him and his work greatly, and it's plain to see why he is so respected and highly regarded around the world. On that note, let's move on to this week's Hypnosis Fact of the Week. Now then, recently I was running a module of my uh, hypnotherapy practitioner diploma course and while discussing strategies for helping clients stop smoking, we discussed and explored the technique championed by many NLP practitioners that is called the Dickens pattern. And you can go and Google that and read about it if you're unaware of it. However, the tenuous links between Charles Dickens and the world of hypnosis does not actually end there. If you've read the novels of Charles Dickens, you are unlikely to have detected that he had a high level of belief in and involvement with mesmerism. Yet mesmerism is a historical precursor to hypnosis and hypnotism. Dickens had strong ties with Dr. John Eliotson. Eliotson is the man who clashed with James Braid. He championed magnetism and mesmerism, acupuncture and experimentation in medicine, as well as being one of the first doctors in the UK to use a stethoscope. Elliotson was actually the godfather to Charles Dickens' son, Walter. Although no signs of this allegiance appear in Charles Dickens' work, many of his letters have since been published and made public, which have shown his opinion on mesmerism. Here is one such extract from a letter by Charles Dickens wrote to Robert Collier on the 27th of January 1842. It was published in many US newspapers of the day, including the Boston Morning Post. With regard to my opinion on the subject of mesmerism, I have no hesitation in saying that I have closely watched Dr. Elliotson's experiments from the first, that he is one of my most intimate and valued friends, that I have the utmost reliance on his honour, character and ability and would trust my life in his hands at any time, and that after what I have seen with my own senses, I should be untrue both to him and myself if I should shrink for a moment from saying that I am a believer and that I became so against all my preconceived notions. 
Interesting. Dickens watched many demonstrations of magnetism and mesmerism performed by Elliotson, and the two became friends. Despite this level of belief that he openly stated he had, Dickens refused to be hypnotised himself. He stated that he did not want to lose control of himself. However, he did actually have a go at mesmerising others, and he even performed a public demonstration on his wife Catherine in 1842 in Pittsburgh. She was the success uh, well, or rather, such was the success of this demonstration that he continued to work with a wider circle of friends and family for the purposes of entertainment primarily. Many believe it was because of his affinity with mesmerism and hypnotising people that his marriage to Catherine actually broke down. Dickens helped treat a lady whilst on holiday in Genoa and she became a frequent patient of his. During their meeting, when she was hypnotised, she often discussed many of her secrets and revealed a great deal of herself to Dickens, apparently. They became increasingly dependent upon each other through this relationship, which became very intense and placed a great deal of strain upon the marriage of Charles and Catherine. Now imagine what Freud and his transference theories would have to say about this, eh? Now, as it happens, this was uh, the last person that Dickens used mesmerism with, and although his belief and advocacy of the subject remained strong throughout his life, Dickens' relationship with mesmerism and hypnosis was put on the back burner somewhat. So that's it. Dickens being a mesmerist. That's the fact of the week. Now, I'll mention it once again, but I cannot guarantee that uh, I'll mention it in, in future episodes. Um... The competition that I mentioned last week. The prize is this. The winner of this competition can attend any of my classroom trainings at any time in the future for free. That is, any single course I offer, all of them, my diploma, my cognitive behavioural certificate, my science of self-hypnosis seminar, my rapid inductions and hypnotic phenomena seminar, everything else I offer can be attended for free anytime you want to, once. Um, that's the prize. Here is the competition. Last week's uh, edition of Hypnosis Weekly, you'll have noticed me joking about Gary Turner using the word nifty. Um, I'd not heard that word in years and I was quite taken with hearing it used so casually once again. Between now and Christmas 2014, I will use the word snazzy casually in an episode. If you hear me using the word snazzy in any future episode snuck into a conversation, i.e. not when I'm explaining this competition, then email me. The first person that emails me will win the prize and get access to all of my training courses for free. If you email me and I didn't say the word, you won't be able to enter the competition again. So keep tuned if that prize is something you're interested in. Coming up in our next edition, I'll be welcoming the extraordinary Mr. Anthony Jackwin. I don't want to oversell any edition of this podcast, but listeners are in for a real treat. It's a veritable goldmine of information, varying, really varied information, and it's content that some are going to find mind-blowing. I have many more exciting guests here in future weeks we'll be discussing, debating, celebrating, and above all, remaining friends. To repeat, all the references made in this discussion uh, uh, within, within the podcast this week, along with related links, are posted at each episode on the Hypnosis Weekly website, www.hypnosis-weekly.com. 
I absolutely welcome your thoughts, comments, suggestions and questions. So please do message me or add them on the Hypnosis Weekly website and I'll make sure they are addressed, answered and explored accordingly. Please do share this podcast on Facebook, Twitter, anywhere else and really help us reach the hypnosis field. My thanks once again go out to Mr. Roy Hunter. My thanks to you for tuning in. My name is Adam Eason. This has been Hypnosis Weekly. Until next time, goodbye for now. Thank you.